Welcome to Building Your Unique Training Brand, a podcast series for training industry leaders, marketers, and sales teams looking for better ways to engage corporate L&D buyers. You'll learn how to build stronger, long-term partner relationships, add more value with your marketing and sales approach, and solve the right problems for the right clients. I'm Marcus Schaller, and I'm excited to welcome J.D. Dillon, Chief Learning Architect at Exonify. We talk about educating clients to help them understand what things could look like and how they can use different tools and resources that fit their unique reality, the difference between authentically good content versus transparent sales pitches, and coming from a place of generosity when sharing insights and ideas with your potential customers. I'm J.D. Dillon. I'm the Chief Learning Architect at a learning technology company outside of Toronto, Ontario, Canada called Exonify. I'm personally located in Orlando, Florida in the U.S. And long story short, I've spent my entire career focused on either the operational side or the learning and talent development side of enabling frontline teams to do great work. So I, I've worked in the past, I spent about 10 years with the Walt Disney Company, about six years with Kaplan, the world's largest education company, a couple of other stops along the way. But I say the consistent themes are, I've always been passionate about helping people just do and be their best at work and overcome the challenges that they face, whether it be short or long-term. And over the past five and a half years with Exonify, I've taken that, that mentality, that approach, and that passion to the uh, technology side of the equation for learning and talent development, where with Exonify, we help enable frontline employees in a variety of different industries, use cases, and uh, regions around the world. Great. It's, it's a wonderful mission um, because uh, you know we've, we've, most of us have been a frontline worker at some point in our career, right? And we've all experienced the uh, being a customer, right? So it's it's such an important group that sometimes doesn't get really uh, served as well as they should. And it has such an impact both on their lives and our lives as consumers and, and the companies they work for. So uh, what I wanted to do is dive in with you today and just get your perspective on on the, the, the business development side of things, right? So um, you, you have a, a long experience in different domains, but yeah, I, I imagine there are certain themes that you kind of see recurring even as the industry changes and shifts over time. But uh, I just wanted to ask to start out with, you know, with Exonify uh, to start out, you know, who, who do you say that the typical buyers or clients that, that you would work with directly as you kind of build that initial relationship? Sure. So the broad answer to that question is people who are, who are passionate about and or have accountability to helping their frontline teams execute. Mm. So that person or people or team can vary depending on the use case, the industry, the region that we're talking about. So as an example, when you're working with a retail organization, that person may be a vice president of store operations. Mm. who's again, very focused on and understands the connection between the success of the organization, their ability to, e to execute their, their retail strategy and the ability for people in the stores or in the distribution center, in the contact center to be able to do their jobs safely and productively. So it may be someone on the operation side of the equation, or in a case of, I mean, maybe we're talking about a financial services organization, or maybe a grocery store. It may be a CHRO or a VP of learning and development, VP of HR, who's more on the kind of employee experience side of the equation, but is often equally passionate about or held accountable to the ability for these teams to be able to do the work that, that is needed in order to execute or organizational strategy. And I'd say when you kind of take those pieces together, it's 
it's never not a combination of, of those types of people inside mm-hmm. of an organization, right? Because even if you're directly working with someone in HR or learning and development, you need operations and other stakeholders in the conversation because they're going to be critical to driving forward when it comes to the, the resources, the technology, the approach that we're looking to take to enable frontline teams and making sure that there's alignment mm-hmm. in terms of how we prioritize development of knowledge and skill as part of operational execution, or you flip it the other direction, maybe the key stakeholder or champion is someone on the operation side of the business. But at the same time, we're talking about learning and skill development, which is traditionally an HR, L&D, talent development domain. And in a lot of cases, from an execution perspective, the person who is putting programs together, building training content, right? Making sure we meet uh, as an organization, our compliance and regulatory requirements. Those teams are often more on the HR side of the conversation. So it really comes down to bringing together the right champions and stakeholders to make sure that everyone is aligned with how we can best support a frontline team. And then everyone takes on the, the necessary role in order to implement and then drive forward and sustain that type of a strategy. Got it. With so many different stakeholders we're talking about here, can you give just a few examples of some of the the challenges that maybe come up on their side that really initiate this kind of engagement with Exonify and and helping their frontline workers? Sure. Some organizations just have not have not made the connection between frontline capability and and business results. I mean, there are mm-hmm. still still many organizations out there that might view their frontline teams as you know often part-time employees, they may have considerable turnover and it may, their, their question may be, there's that classic quote that people love to throw around on social media about, you know, what if we invest in people and they leave? And then the person turns around, but what if they stay? It's very, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's a Drucker quote, yeah. but, um, but in a lot of cases it rings true. Um, and I mean, as I started my working life as a frontline employee in a movie theater. Mm. And I distinctly remember what the experience was like and where it worked and where it didn't work and what kept me around and what maybe made me a little bit less excited to be around in my job when it came to how I was supported and how people helped me solve problems and feel like I was progressing. So there are some organizations that struggle with gaining buy-in Mm. with regards to the importance of investing in a frontline team and the connection between you know the fact that there may be considerable turnover in a traditional s- scenario and how that relates to how people are effectively supported I- i've had many people tell me stories when we first start working with them about you know the way they traditionally onboarded a frontline worker in a retail store mm. and it was two days in a back room clicking through training module after training module after training module and how many people just got up and left and they never saw them again. Oh, and those wow. types of moments where, so I yeah. think organizations, especially over the past 10 years or so, given the advent of different types of technology, mobile devices, these types of ideas, more and more people are starting to acknowledge that, okay, not only is this an important audience, now we can reach them. Because mm-hmm. that's the other challenge, which I think is more broadly out there is people may buy in, people may agree 100%. Yes, if that team doesn't execute if we can't keep them safe, if they can't do their jobs effectively, we will struggle as an organization and our customers will have a, a negative experience. But they may be only familiar with traditional tactics in mm-hmm. order to try to reach that team. And therefore, there's a disconnect in terms of the experience they provide for a frontline workforce as compared to a remote team, an office-based team, people who are 
working with the types of technology you and I are working with, where we have a laptop, we have a webcam, we zoom our lives away. Mm. But that's not happening in retail stores, grocery stores, warehouses, manufacturing lines, those types of ideas. So in a lot of cases, it's exposing people to new opportunities and new options mm. and the ways that we can reach a frontline workforce with timely updates and information, communication without an email address or without having Slack in play or something like that. Training that doesn't require people to step off of the floor for hours at a time and disrupt the operation. We now, thanks to a combination of factors, but including technology, have a lot more options for how we can reach that audience in better ways than we have traditionally. So we don't have to worry about, well, did they see the posting on the bulletin board, <laughs> right? We, we don't live that way in our everyday lives. We don't have yeah. to do that when it comes to supporting our teams, but a lot of people maybe haven't been exposed to what's out there, what the alternative types of experiences could be. So it's really a lot of educating people to understand what things could look like and how you can use different tools and resources to craft experiences Mm -hmm. that fit the working reality of the audience you support. Because you may be a CHRO or an HR team supporting learning and talent development and, and enablement for a large dynamic organization. And that organization may include professional salespeople who are out and about visiting customers, people working in contact center. You might have retail stores. You have a corporate office team. You have a remote work team. You have all these different factors. And the reality is that they, the way that they work directly influences the way you need to support them because mm -hmm. working at home every day in front of a computer is very different than working in a manufacturing facility, which is very different than working in a contact center. Yes. So really looking at the realities of how people work and asking the questions, how do we fit the way we help people around that reality? If mm -hmm. we're, especially if we're not able to, you, you might be able to take a look at work processes and workflows and adjust the way people do their work so they get better support. But in a lot of cases, maybe that's the reality of a retail associate has to be on the floor to support customers, mm -hmm. right? You only have as many people in the store as you need at a time. You can't take a person away for a 30 minute online training session. That doesn't mean that they can't get support. They can't get uh, training. They can't get an opportunity to develop themselves. So it's about crafting experiences around the realities of how people work and helping people kind of like see that reality and then mm -hmm. understand that there are a lot of different options and opportunities out there to be able to do that. And it's not about necessarily like finding one tool that's going to fix all of our problems because that's just not how technology works. And if you need clarity on that, just look at your phone. Yeah. How many apps do you have? It's not one. Too many. So it's, <laughs> right? It's about yeah. finding the right combination, a meaningful combination of tools, resources, and processes so people get I talk a lot about equitable support. We're trying to provide an, an equitable workplace experience, meaning that it's not the same for everybody. It's what everyone needs to be successful. Yeah, yeah. And, and all of those insights that you mentioned earlier, how the companies that you might work with, the organizations might not be able to necessarily define it that way, right? That's what part of their struggle is, first of all, identifying the value of doing it in some cases, and then how would we do it as opposed to just putting something on a bulletin board and just this passive kind of training or they're just checking it off the box or the checklist. Um, how, does, how does that kind of insight really kind of relate to how you approach the marketing and selling side of this? And I don't know how, how involved you are in this with mm -hmm. Exonify, but as far as you know, let's say content marketing is just a broad example. Can you just tell us a little bit about 
how that level of insight and how you view those challenges informs your marketing and selling approach. I mean, from a simple tactical perspective, don't put a gate with a ridiculous form on it that asks people for their blood type in order to try to help them understand something new. That's yes. a simple answer, but, yeah. but it comes down to, I think there's two sides of that. One is not adding to the confusion mm. because in any technology enabled space, but especially in this space, it seems there's just a, a constant cycle cycle of buzz and hype. Mm. And there's a lot of, um, in learning and development, there's a lot of confusion around terminology as an example. We don't have, we have professional organizations, but not necessarily kind of centralized regulatory bodies and certifications. So people come to this profession from a variety of different places. Some people went to school for it. I did not. I just came up through it mm -hmm. and continued to try things and experiment and find my way kind of down the path. And a lot of people are like that as well. So it comes down to the fact that it's, with technology constantly evolving, with tools and tactics and new ideas constantly moving, with the reality of the workplace constantly shifting, this industry in terms of helping people do their jobs better and helping people develop is a constantly moving target. Mm -hmm. And it gets even harder if people are under the guise of thought leadership. I'm throwing giant air quotes anytime I use that. <laughs> yeah. Under the guise of thought leadership, put a lot of information out there that is inconsistent with other conversations is the, the way that we define as compared to the way that you define happens mm. a lot. Mm. So it leaves people in the middle trying to figure out what, what's real, what's not, what does it actually mean? How does it relate to me? And having spent most of my time within large dynamic organizations, you tend to spend a lot of your time just trying to get the job done, right? Trying to deal with sure. the next change, the next problem, the next request. And there's only so much time and effort you can put into figuring out what's going on out there, right? How's the industry yeah. changing? What new opportunities are there? How many platforms are available to me today, right? Mm -hmm. Which is where we start to see, you know, in a lot of cases, purchasing uh, conversations or processes get really messy or convoluted or like there's a lot, you can almost see there's a lack of consistent understanding of certain foundational ideas that are really rooted behind what we do in this profession. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of it comes down to, how do you as uh, a partner, a provider, a vendor, how do you meaningfully engage with your professional community and recognize that you're part of this network of people who are trying to do this mm. and not someone who's just trying to sell people stuff? Because totally. when you're just trying to sell people stuff, you might just say, yes, we can do that, right? No <laughs> yes. matter what, do you have one? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, sure. that, but can you really? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's incumbent upon anyone who engages with a professional community, regardless of industry or the role that you play, mm. to do so in good faith, to do so honestly, and to try to contribute. That doesn't mean you can't also say, I have a great solution for you, or I think this is potentially really helpful. We've, we've been able to help organizations with similar problems, but do so in a way that is, it's funny with this industry. The industry is based in education can't we just try to help educate one another and share meaningful ideas and not make it just about, you know, flashy ads and, and sizzle and, and good yeah. headlines. And it, I mean, it's to the point, and I don't know if anyone else out there has a similar experience. And it's odd for me to say this, given that I am on the provider side of the equation. When I read an article in this industry at this point, I tend to scroll to the bottom first, <laughs> see yeah. where the person works, <laughs> uh -huh. right? Uh, who's, who's the author? Where do they work? Yeah. And then go backwards to the article and try to figure out, is this article going to be 
good ideas for about two thirds and the sales pitch at the end, mm. right? Because mm. it, in some cases, it could be great, insightful information. In a lot of cases, it's just trying to tell me that the only answer to this problem is a thing that an organization offers. And yeah. I, can, I cannot be the only person seeing that. And I'm, again, usually not the one that anyone's trying to sell to. Although I do get a ridiculous amount of sales pitches every day. Mm. And in some cases, I am their direct competition. So, <laughs> and it just shows like if that's happening to me, yeah. what's happening to people who are working in various roles just trying to help people do their jobs better. Yeah. So, like I said, I, I don't think it's, you know, talk, if you have cool ideas and cool products and cool technology, talk about it all day, right? Share, sure. share the cool ideas and the stories, but anchor it to something, right? Yeah. Anchor it to um, a meaningful outcome that an organization is able to see, right? A, a, a meaningful story with agnostic principles, which is something I always try to do to say, you know, here's the idea that I'm trying to share, whether it's mm. in writing, during a presentation, whatever it may be. Um, this is what I believe. This is why I believe this to be a good idea. This is the evidence that supports that. Yes, I can help you do this too, right? The Exonify team is happy to help you solve this problem. But if you don't have that opportunity, it's not the right time. We're mm. not the right fit for you. You can still benefit from the ideas that I shared in some meaningful way. That's what I always try to strike a balance of so that when I when someone tries to read an article I wrote, I hope they don't scroll to the bottom <laughs> first, yeah. right? I hope, it. it's, yeah. I hope it's these are good ideas. Oh, yeah. look, this person does work in this type of organization, but they're honestly engaging with their professional community. Because if we all did that, I think we'd be able to, you know, there's no one solution for everyone, right? There's mm. coexistence required within an ecosystem. So it's about just remembering that everyone's, you need to be part of a professional network and community and not see it as an opportunity to, to take advantage of the fact that people are trying to solve problems. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to your, the point that you made about the gated eBooks or mm -hmm. content, which is a personal pet peeve of many marketers like myself, but uh, you know, that, that is to me, it's a telltale sign of, of how much empathy we have for the customer. Right. So you think about like here, we've put out presumably a great piece of content, let's hope. Mm -hmm. Right. And instead of having a certain level of like, you know, um, mindful trust and faith that we're going to basically give enough value over time that they will, will going to want to know more. Some of them won't, and that's fine. Right. But that we treat it as every little piece of content we, we want to get a lead from, we want to get some marketing qualified leads so we can give it to sales. And I understand the pressure on the sales side, mm -hmm. especially in things like software and, and, yeah. and SaaS, but it's so not conducive to what you said, these, these kind of relationships. And what I love so much about the training industry and the coaching industry and learning and development is that it is perfect for content marketing, right? If you think you've worked for like, you know, the standard software company that sells a CRM package, you got to figure out all these ways to think, what are we going to write about? Right. And then you got to kind of develop that with training. It's all your IP is there. You have all this wonderful content. And I think that's changed a lot now is how generous people are getting, but I think there's still a sense of, we don't want to give away too much. Do you, do you see that as well? Or is that going hundred percent? And the, mm. the good, the good thing I think is there, there is a ton of generosity in this profession. There are numerous people, kind of a continuous wave of people who are usually on the practitioner side, mm. who are very willing to share to a point where I don't understand how they have a day job. <laughs> but they, they do their job and then they also just share everything and anything about how they're doing their job. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's a great model for 
their ability to build substantial networks, to build substantial mm. trust with people who maybe have never met this person, but look at them as a trusted source and they're willing to go to them if they need support. It's, it's the same idea. Yeah. Um, and I understand, like you said, salespeople have objectives they need to hit. Organizations need to make money and grow, right? Sure. I get that entirely, sure. but yeah. I think you can, you can do it in a way that also enables people with, with good ideas. And I, there's one example I have, and I think I can say this because the person in the story doesn't work at the organization anymore. So um, I was at a conference once mm. and I popped into another technology provider's education session at the conference. I sat in the back of the room, but I noticed that they definitely clocked my attendance because they know who I am and where I work. Sure. Um, and I was just there to see what they were talking about because I was going to talk the next day on a similar theme. Mm. So I was just curious, what perspective are they bringing? Because if people are also going to attend maybe my session, I want to make sure that I'm not confusing people. That was yeah, why I was there. Absolutely. I wasn't there to figure out what they were talking about because I expected an education session. Unfortunately, yeah. this session turned into a demo very quickly. And it was oh. one of the first times I ever actually heard someone ask, the, what is the most popular question in any conference session in history? I'm curious if you know the answer to this. What is oh. the most popular, most often que answered question at a conference session? I'm not even going to try to guess. I'm going right back to you. The answer is, will the slides be made available? Oh, so <laughs> yeah, right? I would have never every, that. every time yeah. if, and as a just speaker tip, take care of that mm. problem, right? Like yeah. make sure that you upfront, here's where the slides live, right? Just, yeah. or we're going to take care of that. No one has to ask that question or worry about that for later. Mm. You know, enjoy listening to me. Don't worry about what it's led on slide seven. So, um, so in that particular session, I was already of a particular mindset and someone asked the most popular question in the history of the world. And the response from the team that was running that session was if you give us our, your contact information, we will send it to you, mm -hmm. which is the conference equivalent <laughs> yeah. of a gate. Yes, right? yes, exactly. Um, and I heard an audible groan <laughs> in the room from other people yeah. because I'm not the only one who noticed that. Yeah. Everyone noticed that. Yeah. Right? So, so I had that experience one day. The next day, I'm delivering my session, mm. similar theme, and I see the presenter from yesterday is in my room. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't sit in the back like I did. He sat in the front row. So for whatever reason, so he was right there. I deliver my session on this particular topic and he came up to me afterwards and asked me basically the question, like, so you work at Exonify, right? <laughs> like he didn't, it seemed like he didn't really understand yeah. the fact that I didn't just demonstrate the platform <laughs> that my company builds yeah. because the entire point and the kind of the onus I take as a person who engages in this profession and came from the practitioner side to the provider side is that I need to make sure that if you spend an hour in a room with me, there's mm. you're, it's going to be a value. Like this was a good decision. You're going to walk away with the ability to do something new, solve a problem, open a door, have a better conversation, whatever that may be based on the session. And you're, you, I will tell you who I work for, where I've worked, what my background sure. is, these types sure. of ideas. And all of the ideas I talk about relate or are informed by or inform the work we do at Exonify. Mm. So it may not be specifically related to something that we do in product, but it's somehow philosophically aligned because that's why I work there. The way I think about the types of work I do matches the way we do what we do at my company. So, um, but it was funny to see a disconnect because I don't go up there and pitch 
right? Because mm-hmm. I know that's disrespectful to the sure. organization that's hosting the event and the people in the room. Um, but I do know that there, and there've been many times where I will say, let's talk about this interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Here's how you would address this. Here's the good principles. Here's how it works. And then afterwards, people will come up to me and say, how does Exonify do that? Mm-hmm. Or, or can you tell me more about this, that, the other? And then we take that aside and we have an individual conversation about that. And, and now five years into working on the provider side, I see that happen over and over again, sometimes to the point where I will deliver a session at an event, not have a conversation with somebody at that event, and then months later, find out that that person is engaged in a conversation with another side of my team because they liked the idea that we shared. Mm. And they Mm. came around, did the research and came around and said, well, maybe this organization can help me do that. Yeah. I know that that's not as clear cut for people as saying like, get up and demo your product, but, and and not say there aren't times for that, but you just need to make sure that people coming through the door believe I'm coming in here to see a demo of a product. Awesome. Let's do that. Sure. I'm coming in here to learn about an idea, right? Overarching principle, time and place for everything. Sure. Treat people with respect. That'll foster trust. And that's how you engage with a professional community in a way that isn't just about making a a sale over the short term. It's about building a relationship over the long term. Because sorry to continue ranting, but the- um, No, I like the ranting. <laughs> the one, one thing that we continue to see uh, with my team is that in many cases, one of the ways that we're brought into conversations in organizations is because people left a previous customer. Mm. So, right, they worked mm. in an organization that we worked with for an extended period of time. They then took on a different role in a different company. And mm. one of the early conversations they have over there is, hey, I worked with this team at this other organization. We might want to take a look because I think they can help us solve a problem. Right? Yeah. It's that kind of trust and relationship that you're ultimately looking for because that, I mean, just to be frank, that requires a lot less work in a yes. variety of ways yes. in order to generate that conversation because it wasn't just that we had a good product. It wasn't just that we were you know, fun to chat with. Mm. We had built a relationship of trust where they wanted to work with us again, even though they were stepping into a different role or organization. So it's it's looking at things like that about you know building long-term relationships. People love to throw around the word partner, right? We're not mm-hmm. a we're not a vendor, we're a partner. Yeah. yeah okay, then act yeah. like it. Like act right? like and, a partner. Yes. And this is what stop it vending to me. Yes. Yes. Vending all over me. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and it speaks to you. And, and this is the if there was one word that has been consistently brought up during all my conversations about this particular topic, it is relationship. And in a way that's very authentic and real, not just a relationship as you would put air quotes, right? Big air quotes. And I think this speaks to the importance of understanding what selling really is, right? Mm-hmm. Selling as we would define it as a non-salesperson is what we see at trade shows when they're demoing, oh, ick, selling, mm-hmm. gross, right? That's not selling. Mm-hmm. That's vomiting your presentation all over people that aren't there to hear that, right? Mm-hmm. Selling to me, and it sounds like it's, hopefully matches the way you look at it is it's about serving it's about relationship but it's it's about understanding where the where the overlap is where there's where there's a alignment right and that starts with understanding the person you want to serve it doesn't start with the product because nobody cares about the product right because there's no context so i love that you including you and other people i've spoken to have really reinforced that that's that's the people that are at the highest level of this profession really abide by that. And that's um, as a marketer and sales sales professional, that's something that's very uh, nice to see because Mm -hmm. there's definitely some industries and definitely a lot of companies that 
you you just see the gated ebooks and you just see the every opportunity to pitch uh, is is taken. And um, I wanted to ask as uh, you mentioned partner relationships or this partnerships. Do you have any suggestions for ways that training companies can just strengthen those long-term partnerships? And they can include clients traditionally, like, but also partners that might be, you know, the training facilitators and people that you work with as a team. Any just suggestions for how you've you've approached really building on that relationship over time in addition to what you mentioned earlier? Sure. I think we are at Exonavia a little bit unique in terms of how our relationships are built over time, just based on the nature of both the audience we serve and the experience that our solution provides. So mm. the, the idea behind Exonify is that it's a continuous cycle of engagement because mm. that's how learning works, right? I can't consume a large amount of information at one time, walk away and remember everything until I absolutely need it. So the idea is that people who leverage Exonify leverage it as part of their work on an almost daily basis on the front line. So whether that's to access a message from their manager access a reinforcement activity to practice something that they learned a long time ago, the new compliance training requirement, new product information, whatever that may be. Mm. So the, the ongoing nature of that and the fact that our goal is to drive consistent engagement in a way that makes us kind of an operational tool more so than a traditional training tool uh, means that we get engaged in very different ways, I think, than a lot of people may be. I mean, everything from we obviously run continuing education programs where we teach people in the organization in different roles, how to use our technology. We build content that can be deployed inside of an organization, both from a, you know, different types of training content, because we, we offer a marketplace as well as the core technology of mm -hmm. our product, but also we build training content on how to use the technology for other people in organizations. So we build content for frontline managers about how to use Exonify to improve the way they coach their teams. So I think we're, we're a little bit involved differently when it comes to education on that side. Um, we're obviously continuously engaged because we run constant update cycles every two weeks. So we're always talking to mm. the organizations we work with because we update like a SaaS platform as opposed to a, an enterprise HR platform that updates once a quarter or something yeah. like that. But we're non-disruptive in that way, just like you update apps on your phone. So we're constantly talking in that regard. We have pretty strong community outreach activities. So as an example, coming up over the next couple of months, we have um, our annual event, which traditionally was in Canada. Last two years has been digital because you know things. So this year, again, we have our digital event running and we're going to feature you know, speakers from our customer network, speakers from uh, you know, outside of our network around the focus of being the event that talks about how to engage and enable frontline employees. Because mm -hmm. I know that everyone has been to at least 97 digital events in the last 18 months. So <laughs> yes. in this case, we, we believe we're unique because we're not, it's not an event about learning. It's an event about frontline teams and how to help them be successful. So, so we, we do those types of activities. Um, we, we help plan competitive activities. So we may work with an organization, maybe it's upfront to start building engagement, or maybe it's part of a continuous cycle to kind of keep people engaged in continuous learning, where we'll design competitions in partnership with an organization. We'll design marketing materials, um, including when we are white labeled inside of an organization. So we may be called something completely different but we'll mm -hmm. help a team build materials that kind of help share the right message in the branding that they were, they prefer. So there's, I think, a wide variety of ways that we're involved beyond the traditional things like you know, roadmap planning and, and talking to customers around satisfaction and those types of ideas and implementation. Um, it's really a continuous conversation to make sure people are getting value because ultimately, based on the way we've designed our solution, 
if an organization isn't seeing engagement, isn't seeing that engagement turn into meaningful value within their operation, not just, you know, content sets on a shelf and people show up sometimes, right? It's <laughs> yeah. a completely different version of digitally enabled learning. So if we, if they don't see that value, we don't see the value and we sure. know that, you know, are we doing our best? So I think we're, we're engaged in a, in a way that I think facilitates that kind of partner mentality because we, we have those types of conversations about how can we help you achieve a particular goal, solve a particular problem. And it's not about, you know, the problem is not solved when the technology is implemented, no. right? That's the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Then it's about figuring out, well, how can we take advantage of what we provide in order to help you solve a problem? Because that's what it really, I think, comes down to is yeah. that people don't buy technology. They buy solutions to problems. Absolutely. Te technology is cold and in the cloud somewhere and you don't really understand things. Problems are human, yeah. right? So when you really yeah. get into it, that's that's where the real conversation is. And and while it, it's you know it's not our problem per se, it's owned by the people who are on the ground in the organization doing the work every day. It's our job to be there as much as possible, whether it's helping solve the problem through content or technology we provide, or just being there to have a conversation, being mm -hmm. completely willing to join a conversation where it's maybe again not something specific to what we to provide technologically, but maybe mm. just having the right people in the room to share ideas, to help kind of guide or advise on strategy, right? It's, it's being willing to be part of the broader conversation around, you know, becoming better as an organization when people are, are open to that or willing to that or see us as being able to de deliver value in that way. Yeah. And it seems like the theme there is this, the, the willingness to make the investment in a true long-term relationship. An investment mm -hmm. being the the operative word here, it takes a tremendous amount of time and resources yeah. to do what you just talked about, right? Yeah, I did. and I think I think there's a combination of that resourcing appropriately to be able to do that, but at the same yeah. time also um, just prioritizing, right, and balancing yeah. workload and having making it. It's not about there's one person at the company that you talk to, right? Now you can yeah. talk to, you may be talking to a pile of different people from sure. my side of the conversation, and I may show up in different parts of the conversation. And you may not see me again for a little while because it's it's when when can I provide value to the conversation? Mm. Um, when's the right time for, for me to try to help out? And I, I distinctly remember the day back when I was in more of a practitioner role and I had a problem with the learning technology I was using. And I just wanted to get someone on the phone. Mm. And I, I couldn't tell you what that person's name was at this point. <laughs> Yeah. I know that I had to send a bunch of emails to try to, to try to set up a phone call for what was pretty much a standard conversation about, I think, an upgrade process or something like that. Sure. It wasn't, I wasn't talking about how to solve a critical business problem. I was yeah. just trying to talk about how to use the technology. And I remember how painful that was. Mm. And one of the things that actually made Exonify stand out to me, because I was on the customer side before I joined the team. And um, <laughs> this is strange, but one of the things that stood out was at about the same time as I was trying to get this other vendor on the phone mm. and having a hard time, I was having Twitter direct message conversations <laughs> with my customer success person at Exonify. Yeah. The only reason he was having Twitter message conversations with me because he could tell that's where I, that's kind of like, it was just the easiest thing for me to do at the time. Yeah. So he was completely willing to have a conversation there instead of pushing me towards email, mm. scheduling a meeting. Like I was just able to one-off ask him questions on Twitter. Yeah. Which yeah. how many, how many providers do that? Not right? many. <laughs> so, and it stood out to me back yeah. then as someone who was not necessarily saying, I'm going to work with Exonify one day. Yeah. yeah. It just, yeah. It, it, in all of the different 
vendors and partners that I was working with, I noticed that. Sure. And then you Didn't fast mean. forward two or so years later, and I eventually joined the team mm. and I'm now on the other side of the conversation, but it, it's small things like that, that made me realize that this person's interested in me being able to do what I need to do and getting the information I need in a way that's not traditional. Not that everyone should use Twitter direct messaging by any means. Um, this was several years back at this point, but right, it, it just stood out as a level of commitment to what we were doing, whereas I couldn't get the other much larger technology provider on the phone. Yeah, and those little instances make a huge difference as your, your story really highlights, but just the things that we would not even think of necessarily make an impact. And every one of those touch points is important. Um, as we wrap up, and thank you so much for sharing so much of your, your experience and insights with us. Uh, do you have any parting words of advice on how companies can build a, a unique training brand? Like I said, I think it ultimately, it's, it's remembering this is a so much, most businesses are, but this is mm. so much a business about people, mm. right? Fundamentally, all we do and is help people try to do their best right? That is yeah. all learning and development is, whether that is, I need to be able to sell the new iPhone effectively in my, in my retail store, or that is I'm learning a very complex process in a very safety critical environment, working with pharmaceutical manufacturing, like it gets more complicated, complex, and dynamic as you go. But ultimately it, it all comes down to trying to just help people solve problems. Mm. And I, I wish everyone, everyone does their jobs for different reasons. Some people are in learning and development because they really like telling other people how to do what they, what they know how to do really well. Yeah. Some people do it because they don't have to talk to customers anymore, right? They go back <laughs> up house and that's better for them. And I think a lot of people are in it for the same reason I am, which is I just want to help people, you know, be proud of the work that they do every day and go home safe. Often, you know, one of the companies I worked for, one of our big philosophies was we want people to go home in the same condition they came to work today because it was a very safety critical type environment. And yeah. that resonates with me because it's a big part of what we do. So I think making sure that even if you, you know, as a technology company or as a supplier or vendor, you may not be, or a large chunk of your team may not be from the industry that you support, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit different in Exonify in that I'm one of the few people who works in the team who is a hundred percent from this space. So mm -hmm. I came from learning and development and now use that to inform what we do at Exonify, as well as inform what I do when I'm out and about trying to help out or share ideas, writing and speaking and things like that. Mm -hmm. So put the effort in to understand the human side of whatever marketplace you're trying to support and quote unquote, sell into, um, you know, make the investment. If that is in terms of maybe bringing in people. Like me, not me mm. per se, but who do <laughs> have you have a practical yeah. understanding of what's going on in the space? Mm. I mean, and and just to relate to something we said earlier, I scroll to the bottom to see who wrote the article. I also pay very close attention to the titles of people who speak at conferences mm. because it doesn't mean that you're not going to share great information if you're from a technology company because I'm from a technology company. Sure. So it's not about that. It's about who just send to the conference yeah. <laughs> to try to tell me about this robust and interesting idea, right? Mm. Because, and again, not saying that titles are bad either, but you need to be committed enough to the realities of, and the kind of depth of expertise of, an, of a marketplace that you're working in so that when you do have an event at a conference, it might just be a good litmus test. If you do have an event at a conference, 
And you're going to talk about some really cool idea that your organization's involved in. Let's just take artificial intelligence and learning and human resources as an example. Sure. Let's get complicated. <laughs> the person presenting that education session better have at least a decent depth of understanding that goes beyond the product that you sell. So that when someone in the audience raises their hand and asks a question to clarify how something works, they can have a substantial conversation and not be limited to the pitch deck mm-hmm. and the, like the basics of what they've learned because all they're responsible for is selling the basic message, right? So it's, it's doing the work, whether that's educating your team, uh, sharing meaningful insight and stories within the within the marketplace within the community that helps people see through the noise and understand the, the realities and where there might actually be value and what is interesting and, and meaningful to pay attention to because mm. there's so many things you could pay attention to sure. um and it's just engaging authentically right and honestly so that like i said it, it could be a matter of bringing in practitioners into the conversation just like you know my team does a lot of work in the grocery space We have a member of our team who spent his entire life in grocery. His son works in grocery. His father and his grandfather worked in grocery. (laughs) This gentleman helps us understand the conversation in a way that we could not, even though we've done a lot of work with grocers, this person knows this world in a way that can help us engage more authentically in that way. So it's, it's just take, take a look at the, the human side and the real you know, the true side of the audiences or the, or the workplace you're trying to support, do the work, engage authentically, and, and just be, remember that you're a member of the community too. And people can tell if you engage in an inauthentic way. It's not a secret. They all get the LinkedIn messages, right? They all get the emails. They've, yes. all, they've all thought this white paper is going to be real interesting. And then mm. they slam into a gate and it just demotivates you. And the other thing is, they all have secondary email addresses that they put into those forms. <laughs> For all right? the spammy so, stuff, right? Yeah. Like yeah. There's, there's few things that are more interesting than when you put in a Gmail address, for example, yeah. into a marketing gate, and it just says no, right? Like it says, <laughs> it says so much about what's happening. <laughs> no, because from a marketing automation perspective, you could filter out the Gmail later yeah. and still let them yeah. get the asset, right? Like so sorry, many, so many things. Um, <laughs> At least they're putting it up front, but right. But it's just, it really just comes down to like just a a commitment to engage authentically. And then looking across your entire operation as a provider, technology company, consultancy, whatever you may be and saying, you know, from a sales perspective, are we engaging authentically from a marketing perspective? Are we engaging authentically? And again, everyone has goals. Everyone's trying to grow businesses, 100% understand that, but finding that balancing act and making sure that it echoes across the entire journey of someone that may work with you. So that, you know, when you engage authentically and people first hear of you and they're really excited and you've got some great ideas, it's the same level of authenticity, trust, and relationship that happens then seven years later when mm-hmm. they've now been a customer for a long period of time and they're, they're just trying to get the work done and they need you to help them out. It should be building one long relationship, not, you know, authenticity when it's of greatest convenience. Thanks to J.D. Dillon for being on the show, and thanks to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll consider leaving a rating and sharing it with a friend.